Praise God. Good morning and welcome to True North Church. Who's had a good week? Come on. Someone, someone's had a good week. Yeah, we're going to have a we're going to have a great morning together. It's been awesome already to to come together, experience God's presence. As Pastor Lawrence said a little earlier, that that when we come together, we actually bring church together because it's this community. I love that. It's so cool. And uh, if you're, if you're maybe new here, or you haven't been around the last few weeks, we've been following this series, uh, the six week journey, and asking this question: How's your soul? Anyone been enjoying this over the last few? weeks. And uh, and basically the idea with this is that on Sundays we come together and start a conversation and then we follow that up on Wednesdays. We have have people moving, I guess, from the rows of a Sunday to the circles of Wednesday. And and this auditorium is filled with tables and people coming around having conversations around the ideas that we're looking at at Sunday. Anyone been enjoying that on Wednesday nights? I I had an awesome time this Wednesday. I got to go and and be a part of the table and it was just just fantastic. But we we are going to continue in the in the six-week journey. I should say as well, if you haven't had a chance to come on a Wednesday and you still want to, please feel free to do that. You can you can just show up 7 o'clock Wednesday night or you can register as well through the app or, or come and see one of us after. But uh, we're going we're gonna to keep moving forward in the series and today we're, we're going to start with this key question. When it comes to, to the idea of our souls, we want to ask this question. What does your soul hold on to? What does your soul hold on to? When you're, when you're in the middle of a difficult situation, when there's challenges on your left and your right, what is the thing that you can take hold of and say, because I've got this, I'm going to be okay. Because I've got this, I'm going to be okay. You know, I, I, was, uh, I was lucky enough to, to grow up right here in the area in Mullaloo. And, and as a kid, I discovered a, a really cool stretch of beach uh, down on, on the Mullaloo coast. And it's between the, the point, the northernmost part of the beach, and, and Ocean Reef Marina. And there's kind of this cool kilometre or so of, of little cliffs. Has anyone been down there? Maybe you've been walking and you see those cliffs. And one of the things that, that we love to do, we called it going spelunking. Going spelunking. If you're unfamiliar with recreational caving, that's uh, that's what spelunking is. I, and I say that, but really, there was maybe one or two spots where you could kind of climb down. So if you imagine the the top of the cliff, there'd be a tunnel that you could climb in, and it would open up into this cool little expanse that would have a, another opening going out to the ocean, where that would come through, and it kind of created this little cool pool in there. And we used to go in there and play, and it was this cool little adventure time. And, and I remember one day we went down there, and, and I hadn't realised how big the swell was, how big the waves were, and we climbed down the tunnel, got into this little underground pool, was going towards the opening where you could kind of walk out onto a little reef there, and and as I was climbing through, and the opening's just like this kind of big, I had my hands on it, I looked through, and I could see there was a big set of waves coming, and you know those moments where you're like, I don't have enough time to go forward and get out of the danger. I don't have enough time to go backwards to get out of danger. I've just got to hold on for dear life right now. So I kind of locked on to the side of these rocks, and I was like, no matter what, I have to hold on, or I'm going to get smashed into the back of this cave. It was funny. My friend who was with me, he said, as the wave came through, hey, I like disappeared for like 10 seconds. He's like, I thought you were dead. I, I thought that was it for you. I thought you were gone. And then the, the, then the swell went back down, and there I was. <laughs> holding on for dear life onto these rocks. There was a desperation in the grip that I had because I knew if I let go, it was boom, into the back of these rocks. Now, this is what, I, what I'm talking about, that kind of intensity with what does our soul hold on to? Because there are things in our life that we, we hold on to with a certain ferocity, believing that if we have them, 
We're going to be okay. Our souls are going to be okay. The writer of the, the letter Hebrews in the New Testament writes, uh, writes an, incredible, an incredible letter. And I want to begin by taking our focus to a particular verse. Uh, in 6 verse 19, and we're going to read this together. And it says this in verse 19. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor. Someone say anchor. anchor. Okay, can we do that one more time? Someone say anchor. anchor. Mm, much better. Steadfast anchor of the soul or for the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Now, what you're going to hear in this, in this verse from Hebrews is a, is a description kind of rich in symbolism from the priesthood of the Old Testament. And we're going to spend some time with that a little bit later on. But, but for now, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, really, in its simplest form, what the writer of Hebrews is communicating here in this moment is that no matter... No matter the trial, no matter the storm that you face, you have a steadfast anchor and it has a name. It's Jesus. You've got an anchor for your soul. It's steadfast, it's reliable, it's unmoving and he has a name. It's Jesus, the name above every other name. What a wonderful name it is, what a powerful name it is. The anchor for our soul that we can take hold of through any storm. You know, a little while ago, we were celebrating the end of a year of ministry here at, at True North Church. As I say a little while ago, it's probably like nearly 10 years ago now. And, and for our kind of staff Christmas party, anyone have staff Christmas parties where you work and they're, you know, they're, they kind of range from really cool to sometimes, you know, not as fun. But anyway, for this particular one, it seemed like it was going to be really, really cool. We, we were going down to, to Mandra. The, our senior pastor at the time had an, an acquaintance that owned one of those really cool houses on the canals where they've got like their, their backyard is like a canal. They've got a private dock and a boat. And we were going to go on a ride on his boat out to a little space where you could have a picnic together and we're going to have a ride back. It was going to be a cool day. And we were all thinking, this is going to be great. Now, after about 10 seconds of being on the boat, I realized that maybe this wasn't going to be the fun experience I was imagining. Now, now before I go any further, I've got to describe this boat. Now, I learned in our first service that it was a pontoon. So basically what that means is it's kind of got a flat bottom boat, and then it's just kind of got a railing around it that water can kind of come freely up and onto the boat and, and around. Is that the right word for that kind of boat, Franco? It's a pontoon. Yeah, good, good. I've got the support of the Australian Navy. <laughs> and, uh, and it was a pontoon, and I kind of thought, to myself, okay, this is all right, we're going to go out. Now, as we were going out, the, the captain of this little pontoon, within about two seconds, bashed into his neighbor's boat. And I was like, oh. And it wasn't just one of those, you know, when you sometimes have just a little, you know, whether it's a car and a boat, just a little kiss next to it. It was like a big bang. It was like, oh. It kind of, that, that was kind of the, the feeling as it was happening. And then as we were making our way out of the canal, again and again, it kind of, if there was a wooden pylon in this canal, this captain was going to find a way to hit it. And we're just kind of getting more and more and go. But then eventually, we got out into the estuary. I'm like, yes, this is good. There's nothing to hit. We're just cruising. This is good. We got to the space where we're having a picnic. It was pleasant. It was enjoyable. And then the weather turned. And the sunshine disappeared and it got cloudy. The wind picked up. And I started looking out on the estuary. And I'm like, that's a little more choppy than it was this morning. 
And sure enough, we got back out. We thought, okay, we better go. The weather's going bad. Let's just get out of here. And we learned on the way back that, man, that pontoon was not equipped to handle that estuary with a little bit of chop. So the, the way, what was happening is you'd go over this little wave, then the front end of the boat would just scoop water into the boat and it kind of run over there. It's uncomfortable, right? You, you know, you're taking off your shoes, you're holding your bag on your lap, and, and, but it just got worse. It got worse. The waves got bigger, the chop got bigger, and, and this thing's just scooping water, and the back end of the boat is just getting dangerously close to not coming back up out of the water each time. And it was funny, at that point, there were still some larrikins on the back of the boat that were kind of helping that natural flow along. Uh, one of them may or may not be preaching at our Merrill campus right now. He, he definitely is. <laughs> and, uh, and then, but then things got out of hand. The waves got too big. The back end just disappears under the water. And me and some of the guy, okay, we, we're out of here, we're done, nope, I'm done. We jumped out of the boat, we're trying to get some of the weight off so it's natural buoyancy, we try to bring it back up. But we popped out and it just wasn't coming back up. But then we noticed that we were on a sandbar, it was like a meter deep. And so we got down and we just kind of helped the boat, lifted up the back end, and I swear if it was five centimeters deeper, if that angle was just a little bit worse, that boat would not have been coming back up. And there's like, there's like 12 of us on this thing. And we got it back up and had a fairly slow, uncomfortable ride home. But we were this close to just completely going under. This close to completely sinking. I'm like looking around at the rest of the staff team. I'm thinking, who's going to be able to swim back to shore? I don't know. I think they're going to be right. I'm not sure about that. We're going to have to help them out. That's literally where my head was at. We were this close just to just a disaster. Now, when it comes to our own journeys of life, when it comes to the, the experiences of our soul, there are moments from time to time that we'll hit places like this where we're just this close to going under. You Maybe you've had an experience like that. You're this close to giving up. Maybe you're this close to, to letting go of your faith. You're this close to letting go of who Christ is. Now, the writer of Hebrews, the verse that we just focused on, writes to a Christian church that is this close to letting go of their faith. They've hit the wall of persecution. The, the letter was written some 60 years after the resurrection of Jesus. So it's kind of the first generation of the church that, that never knew Jesus as a walking, talking rabbi. They, they didn't know the sound of his voice. They didn't see the miracles that, they, that Jesus did. They were a church for the first time that was living completely by faith and not by sight, just like us today. But alongside that, they were living with persecution. Because the author of this letter to the Hebrews, he's writing to Jewish Christians, to Hebrews. And, and what it meant for a Jewish person at the time to put their faith in Christ meant some very real and tangible consequences for their life. That many of them would have lost friends. That many of them would have been cut off from their families. Marriages might have ended because of it. People would have lost their jobs. Entire businesses would have shut down because of the hope that they had in Christ. And they were a church, a community that was feeling the heartache of that battle. They were this close to letting go. You know, the writer of Hebrews, he writes to that church to encourage them. But he also writes to another group of people within that same Christian community. He writes to, to Jewish Christians that have placed their faith in Christ. They said, yeah, Jesus is my salvation. He is the Messiah. But for it to really work, I've got to add some other stuff to Jesus. Uh-oh. 
For Jesus to really work, I've got to add some other stuff. And what they did is they added back the requirement of the law. That, that Jesus, sure, he's my salvation. I find righteousness in him. But really, I need this as well. And it's so ironic. They're saying, I need Jesus. But at the same time, they're saying, I don't need Jesus. There's a whole other message there. We won't follow that thread today. But this is the church that the, the author of, uh, of the letter is writing to, a church that is this close to just giving up on the faith that they held. And here's what he says, that there is an anchor for your soul, steadfast, secure, unmoving, strong. His name is Jesus. And the writer says, all that you need is Christ. All that you need is Jesus. Everything that you could require is found in the awesome name of Jesus. You don't need to add anything to him. You don't need to, to add any bonus features to Jesus for it to work for your life. It's all you need. And he writes the letter of Hebrews with this heart to encourage. So let's think about this, this idea of the anchor for a moment, the, the image that, that the writer uses as encouragement during this season. You know, when I think about an anchor, it would have been a, a, an example in, in their cultural context that, that immediately made sense. And, and not too much has changed even for us today when we think about the role of an anchor uh, on a ship, that it prevents it ultimately from sinking. It prevents it from tipping. And, and here's the other thing that I think is so interesting. It prevents it from drifting. Prevents it from drifting, that if you, if you put your boat in a place and it doesn't have an anchor, it's not going to be there when you go back the next day, is it? You know, one of the things that I think is so important for us to think about when we think about our souls is the reality that our souls can drift. Our souls can drift. You know, I wonder if you've ever been down at the beach and you kind of put your colourful town down, you've got your little umbrella if you're one of those kind of families, and you get in the water and you're swimming, you're having a good time, and then next time you look up at the shore, you're like 500 metres away from where your towel is. Anyone experience that? How annoying is that? <laughs> now I've got to swim back? What's with that? But it happens so gradually, you don't even notice until when you finally look up, you're like, wow, I'm somewhere where I didn't think I was. You know, that happens in our souls. It happens in our souls that, that, that we say yes to Christ. We're, we're, we're engaged in our faith. But then other things come up, other things distract us, and slowly, gradually, our soul drifts away further from who God is and what he has for our life. And it's only when we look up and we think, wow, where did this, where did this bad attitude in me come from? Where did this doubt within my heart come from? That didn't used to be there. Like, my soul needs an anchor. My soul needs an anchor. My soul needs Jesus. So we all need this. We all need an anchor. And, and the writer of Hebrews would, would submit to us that Christ is that anchor. But, but the truth is, we've got lots of things in our life, right, that they kind of operate as like mini anchors. Things that, and here's a good phrase to, to kind of equip that thought, is to say that things that you say, I'm going to be okay because of this. Uh, I'm going to be all right because of this. For example, you might say, I'm going to be all right because i got holidays coming up. Anyone feeling that right now? You're like, man, work's challenging. It's frustrating. It's draining. I'm not enjoying it. But I'm going to be okay because i got holidays coming up. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to go to, you know, some fun place like Fiji or, does that sound fun? What's a funner place? Maybe somewhere in Europe, America? No, it's a bit too broad. Maybe 
Disney World. I've got a holiday coming up. I'm going to be okay because I've got this coming up on the horizon. Or maybe for you, it's like, I'm going to be okay because because I've equipped my life. I've studied. I've got my degree. I've got my master's. Maybe you've got your PhD. If you do, good work. But I'm going to be okay because I've got this. I'm going to be okay because because I've got success and prominence in my field, in my career. Maybe you might think when the storm hits, I'm going to be okay because I've got a healthy savings account. It'll be all right because I know I've got that back up there in my bank account. Maybe it'll be all right because, man, I've got a sweet car. Yeah? It's got butt warmers and everything. It's not true of my car. I've got a bad Falcon. I hate my car. But some of you, you've got fancy butt warmers in your car, and you're like, man, if I've got my car, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. Maybe it's I'm debt-free. I'm going to be okay because I don't have any debt. I'm going to be okay because of that. Now, here's the problem, and in the day-to-day, I think it's more these kind of things that anchor us. Here's the problem with all of these kind of things that I've just described. We're assuming that things that are in their nature soulless can be an anchor for our soul. We're assuming that things that, that don't have a soul can be an anchor for our living soul. And the reality is, in the middle of that storm... Doesn't matter how cool your car is. We've all had those moments, right? In the middle of that storm, it doesn't matter how, how much financial security you have. There's a deeper need for the soul. And, and probably you're, you're right here with me right now. You're like, yeah, Phil, I, I, I get that. I agree with you in that, that, you know, basically what you're saying is that, you know, we can't find wholeness in stuff, Yeah. And that's, that's definitely part of what I'm saying, that we can't find complete fullness in things. And so maybe like, yeah, my, my family's my rock. My family's the thing that I hold on to. Maybe my, my partner, my husband, my wife. Maybe it's a, it's a group of friends. It's these people in my life that they are the thing that I know I'm going to be okay because I have them in my life. They're my rock. They're my anchor. You know, we're created to be relational beings, and I'm not taking anything away from this. I believe so much in the, in the power of journeying life in close community and relationship. I'm so blessed personally by, by the friendships that I have, by the family that I have. But, but here's the problem. If I, as a person, am going to become your anchor, the anchor for your soul, you've got a problem. Because my soul is broken. My soul exists with brokenness, just like every other person. So that if we see people as that ultimate anchor for the soul, here's the thing. Their soul's broken too. They need an anchor for their soul. And I'm not, please don't hear me wrong, I'm not taking anything away from the incredible power of the way we can support, love, and encourage one another. But there is a deeper need within our soul, an anchor for our soul. It's almost like it needs to be a soul like ours that can understand our soul, but a soul without any of my brokenness. And there's only one that fits that description, and his name is Jesus. The anchor for my soul the one that understands my soul, that stepped into our world and took on a human soul just like mine, except absence of any brokenness. He's the anchor for my soul. He's a better anchor for my soul. He's the anchor that I really need. It all points to that reality expressed in Hebrews 6 verse 19, that we have a need for Jesus. We have a need for Jesus to anchor who we are. 
Here's, here's one of the challenges, though, I think. When we're, when we're in the middle of a storm, right, when we're facing those seasons, maybe you're here this morning and you're right in the middle of that, that, that so often our prayers aren't, Jesus, be my anchor in this storm. You know why I don't like those kind of prayers? Because it's like, when I think of an anchor, an anchor is going to keep me right here in the storm. It's going to stop me from tipping. It's going to stop me from sinking. But, but it means I stay in the storm. You know, I think we prefer a, like a helicopter Jesus. So we say, Jesus, I need an evac stat. Get the chopper out here. I need to get out of this storm. Send the man with the floaty. We're, we're out of here. He's going to come and pick me up. I'm done. God, get me out of here. That's the kind of picture of Jesus that we want when we're in the storm. But when you journey through Scripture and you see the story of men and women of faith that have gone before us and the different challenges they face, some of them metaphorical storms, some of them literal storms, we see a picture of a God who is present, a God who is right there in the middle of a storm but a God that just doesn't instantly remove from the storm. And I think Jesus has something for us in that. That no matter what the storm you're facing, he's not going to let you tip. He's not going to let you sink. He's going to be your anchor. He's going to be your rock. He's going to be present in the storm. You know, I think of the New Testament so often. You see in the life of Jesus as he's journeying with his disciples, that he'll take them into a challenging situation. And he's kind of famous for basically leaving them in it, right? We see this in the Gospels that Jesus will lead them into this complex, whether it's a social or cultural or or physical challenge, and he'll leave them there. You know, there's a great example of this in in speaking of storms in Matthew 14, where, where Jesus allows the disciples to experience a literal storm, a crazy storm. And we're going to pick it up in our reading just for a moment in uh, Matthew 14 and starting in verse 22. Jesus and the disciples have just had a time of incredible ministry. And now they're going to cross over to the other side of the lake. And it says this in verse 22. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dis- dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountains by himself to pray. Remember how I talked about a few weeks ago, that pattern of rest in the life of Jesus. Here it is in real time. Intense time of ministry, then he goes to the mountain to pray, to be restored in the presence of the Father. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the shore, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. The disciples are in a boat and there is a storm. The wind's blowing, the waves are crazy. And in the fourth watch of the night, 4 a.m., he came to them, walking on the sea. You know, Jesus walks on water. This, this story is where that comes from. He's walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified because it's kind of crazy to see someone walking on the sea. And there's a storm going on. And they said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. You know, it's funny, sometimes when I read this story, I kind of imagine the, the, the ministry keys coming on in the background and Jesus very peacefully saying, take heart, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, I'm here. But the reality is the storm's still raging. The waves are still crazy. The wind's still blowing. There's lightning cracking. Jesus would have been yelling this in the midst of the storm. He said, take heart, it is I. Don't be afraid. The storm's still raging. 
Isn't this a funny picture? And the disciples, they're like, Jesus, look around you. We've got every reason to be afraid. Look at the waves, look at the wind, see the storm, and, and you're walking on the water? Everything about this scenario is terrifying. And Jesus says, take heart, speaking over and through the storm. He doesn't take them out of the storm. He speaks into the storm. He speaks through the storm and says, take heart, I am here with you in the waves, in the wind, in the storm, in the rain. Verse 28, and pizza, pizza, <laughs> Peter answered him. See what happened there? It's funny when you, you know, speak too much on a given morning. Pizza answered him. Maybe I'm just hungry. <laughs> Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. How good's Peter? <laughs> and Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and began walking on the water. The storm still raging, mind you. He got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came closer to Jesus step at a time. Then in verse 30, when he saw the wind, he was afraid. When he saw the water churning literally beneath his feet, his eyes come off Jesus, he's afraid, and he begins to sink. And he cries out, Lord, save me. I'm sinking. Then immediately, immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, took hold of him, saying to him, Are you of little faith? Why did you doubt? Remember, the storm's still going. Peter's sinking in the midst of the waves and the, the spray of the ocean and the lightning and the thunder. Jesus isn't whispering this softly to him. He isn't saying, Are you of little faith? He's yelling over the storm. Peter's like, I'm sorry. <laughs> Jesus takes hold of him. And when they got into the boat, then the storm ceased. The storm comes to an end. Those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Now, I love this story. And even as we've been, I guess, talking around these ideas this morning, one of the things that you can do when you read this story is maybe look at Peter and say, oh, he took his eyes off Jesus and then he started to sink. He saw the storm around him, he started to sink. Peter just needed to hold on to Jesus. He needed to keep his eyes fixed on Jesus. He needed to hold on to Jesus. And sometimes we think when we're in a storm, all we need to do is hold on to Jesus with every ounce of our strength, like me in that cave, that if we let go of him, all is lost. We think, oh, I've just got to use everything in my power to hold on to Jesus. So I've got to do all of the right things so that I'm strong enough to hold on to him. But let me ask you a question. In this story... When the storm gets the better of Peter, who's holding on to who? Jesus is holding on to Peter. Peter's not holding on to anyone. He cries out in faith. He says, Lord, save me. And Jesus, bang, immediately he's right there. He's waiting. He takes him by the arm and holds him. Here's something you've got to remember today is that in the midst of every storm, Jesus is present. And it doesn't matter how much strength you have to hold on to him. Maybe what you need to be reminded of today is that the creator God, in the fullness of who he is, is holding on to you with every ounce of his might as saviour. 
present in the storm, speaking over the storm, speaking through the wind and the waves and holding your soul steadfast and secure. He's the anchor for your soul. I invite the team to to come back and and join us. And they're going to lead us in in an incredible song that we're going to reflect on together. And and you would have noticed that, that, that we've got communion prepared. But just before we do that together, I want to take you back to Hebrews 6, verse 19. Can we read it again together? It says this, We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Here's the image that we've been speaking into. But now we're going to get a little bit more real with the verses or the the sentences that follow. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Now the author of Hebrews, he's talking about the temple. He's talking about the holy of holies within the temple that was separated by the thickest curtain you've ever seen in your life. But obviously we haven't seen it. It's It's a really thick curtain. And it's a space that only the priest and only at the allotted time and only when he had met a series of requirements could he enter into that most holy place. And the priest would go into that most holy place to offer sacrifices on behalf of the people so that they might have their righteous connection to God restored. This is how the law worked. The priest would make sacrifices on behalf of the people who would kind of be the connection, the conduit between God and people. Now, here's what the author of Hebrews is saying. The hope that we have, the anchor that we have, is the truth, the reality. That Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf into the Holy of Holies. Jesus has gone there as a forerunner, meaning he has gone there first so we can follow him. At the crucifixion, something you might have remembered as you've read through that story, is that when Jesus cries out, giving up his last breath, something happens to that curtain in the temple. It's torn from top to bottom. That that most holy place, the holy of holies in the presence of God, restricted to only a few that met all the requirements, was now open for everyone. Because Jesus has gone before as our forerunner. And because Jesus has gone into the most holy place, we can step in and follow with confidence. Let's go a little further. Talks about Jesus becoming a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek's a priest in the Old Testament. A lot of great things that we could talk about on that today. But here's the one picture that I want to give you. And it's found in the name Melchizedek, which means king of righteousness. King of righteousness. That Jesus is the king of righteousness and he has gone into the most holy place on our behalf, like the priests used to do. He's gone in on our behalf, torn the curtain, torn the veil, so that we, whenever we choose... Whenever we have faith in our heart to do so, we can step into the fullness of the most holy presence of our God because of what Jesus has done. That high priest forever, the king of righteousness, and as king over righteousness, he bestows righteousness to me even though fundamentally I am not. 
That's grace. Something given to me that I do not deserve. The awesome grace of my Savior. And through that, now whenever my soul rises with faith to believe, I can walk into what was once the restricted holy presence of my Creator. But of course, God's heart was always that I would walk in. And so Jesus stepped into our world. Today, we're going to celebrate communion together. Two little symbols, the cup, bread, that in essence captures this scripture, the story that I've just told, that Jesus has gone before us, that he has paid the price, that he has opened the way to the full presence of God. And I have faith in my heart to believe this morning that we can experience the fullness of his presence here in our 1045 service as we come around the table and share in communion. Can we stand together?